Hello, magical being. You have made your way to the Rose Woman podcast on love and liberation, and I am your host, Christine Marie Mason. I have something for you to try on for size as an idea or a feeling tone. See how this lands in your body. What if the pathways and keys to complete ecstatic bliss, to interconnection with the divine field, have already been laid out inside of my own body? What if paying exquisite attention to the body and inviting the light in brings not only more aliveness and more pleasure, but invites experiences of unity consciousness? What if these are especially accessible in lovemaking and sexuality? I mean, just in general, what an ingenious design, right? Through these pathways in our bodies already, things that are already laid out inside of us, we can be in the body as our separate individuated realities, or we can be in the total oneness, going in and through the body, pulsing in and out at will. Like, wow, take that in. You are literally wired to be part of the whole awareness at any given moment. So today we're going to talk about the teachings on altered states of consciousness and sexuality, as well as some more contemporary research on that. I'm going to start by telling you a story from last week. I was back on the farm in Hawaii, and a man in the community named Naga had invited a teacher from Toronto, a modern dance teacher, Benoit Le Chambre. And as a friend of mine said, like, if you're going to be a modern dance teacher, Benoit Le Chambre is like, you know, of course, you're going to be named something like that, right? So he's teaching on relational flow, like sensorial flow. And I love to dance, but I haven't really done a lot of training. And his approach was really different. Like we started with massaging our feet and spreading the metatarsals manually. And then as we started to work with the feet, beginning to pull the ball of the foot back toward the heel. And then he said, taste the floor with your foot. And that's when I sort of begin to get the clue that this was more of a, a synesthetic and energetic and subtle approach to dance, like really feeling into energy fields than anything we'd ever done before. At some point, we spent a very, very long time, maybe 20 minutes playing with the tongue, like just exploring the insides of the mouth uh, with the tip of the tongue, with the middle of the tongue, with the back of the tongue, and, and even looking to see and inquiring as to how the tongue is not only zones, but it's a continuation, an unbroken chain of different perceptual fields or areas, and then how the tip of the tongue extended all the way down the throat into this long organ that only a tiny portion of is visible, and then how in the throat it connects right into the nervous system for deep perception. And that actually the taste buds are only one aspect of what the tongue is taking in. It also can taste energy. And so he had us doing some mouth gestures and then shaping energy with our hands around our mouth. And I was like, wow, there is so much more available in our perceptual field than you would play with. We did similar energetic practices like softening and spreading the sacrum and really finding looseness in there or like softening the occipital ridge right at the back of the skull and listening and feeling from there. We opened and expanded the back of the mouth and watched how more sensation and awareness could be brought into the entire spine by relaxing that gait. We also did some listening and toning exercises, which were 
designed to attune us to other beings. So for example, one exercise was to go face to face with another person and get up really close and then ear to ear so that you're listening through their ear and they're listening through your ear to you. And you began to tone as a form of listening to the other person's vibration. And as we did this, um, the other person responded, and then you would basically attune to one another. And then at some point, an incredible conjoined sound would be formed if you were listening well. And then we were asked to sort of listen to a plant. And I have to tell you, you know, initially he said, go listen to a plant and find its tone. And I was a little skeptical, but I went and listened. And then on the second round, not only could I hear that the plant itself had a frequency and a tone that I could match, but different parts of the plant had separate frequencies and tones, like the wide stem at the base versus a new shoot or a leaf or a dying blossom. They each had a different frequency. And I was so tripped out because of the grossness of the nature of moving in the world so much of the time, the bluntness of our embodiment, that there's so much more available. Then I would say in terms of the dancing with other people, another big piece was that everyone has a layered energy body inside of them and outside of them and extending out. Some people might call this auras or whatever. It's like how your energy extends out from the envelope of your skin, which we've talked about before, I think. And that when you're getting ready to dance with someone, the first movement in you is of a bow, a form of reverence, and not like a curtsy bow that's very overt, but more like an expansion of like a holding of your arms up and saying, ah, I see your radiant energy field, like an acknowledgement of their divinity. And then you kind of see how in that acknowledgement and that opening and in that waiting and in that patience, that bow gesture, which has no greed, no extraction, no demand energy, that the person sort of begins to fluff a little bit. Their energy body begins to fluff. They become more receptive. And as that happens, as their inner shine or their inner glow comes out, then you find a more willing and interested uh, partner in the dance. And I thought that was like such a gorgeous way to approach our interactions on the daily basis. Bow first, wait. I had an, uh, an experience similar to this when I was doing some sexual healing work, receiving sexual healing work with someone. And I noticed that as she put her hand on the pubic bone and like cup my vulva that my entire vaginal canal like like sucked up and in and like in anticipation of unwanted access and I was like this is interesting because I've never slowed down enough to notice how much I withdrew at the possibility of penetration but then as I rested and she was talking to me and and like basically saying really sweet things and and was really calm and there was again no demand energy that everything relaxed and when it relaxed the energy opened and there was an invitation to her and she's like oh there you are and I was like wow what if we did that what if we sort of just made our intent or our desire clear and then we waited you know for the other person to be in energy body response so I wanted to lay that out a little bit because I think this idea that there's so much more going on in the subtle and energetic realms that that we're not used to tuning in with, but that it's available to all of us. I'm not like a special person in that way. That 
if we're not pasting over our subtle perception. Uh, I love how my friend Kathy Joy calls it our subtle intelligences with our dull foods and our incredibly numbing media and our constant distractions in the world that if we aren't pasting it over, there's so much more moments of transcendence at the tiniest scales, like listening to a plant or tasting the floor with our feet or at the cosmic scale, like zooming out into full. I'm out in the stars and the galaxies. I'm going to read you a quote from William James, who wrote in 1902 in his famous work, The Varieties of Religious Experience. He says, Our normal waking consciousness is but one special type of consciousness, whilst all about it parted from it by the flimsiest of screens. There lie potential forms of consciousness entirely different. We may go through life without suspecting their existence, but apply the requisite stimulus and at a touch they are all there in their completeness. No account of the universe in its totality can be final, which leaves these other forms of consciousness quite disregarded. It has occurred to me in the past, by the way, that most of the problems of our perception are problems of scale. Like before we had the microscope, we couldn't see what was happening at that scale. And before we had the telescope, we couldn't see what was happening at that scale. And that as our instrumentation gets more and more acute uh, to access measurements of things like the energy field or the alternative forms of consciousness, that we will find out more and more validation. So for those of you who aren't so like directly trusting of individual experience, then you will get it validated by science at some point. Because I do trust individual sensation and experience, and particularly those that are reported over and over by people throughout history. So uh, on that note, Walter Stace, who wrote A Taxonomy of Mysticism in 1961, he talks about everyday ecstasies. And don't you love that term, like everyday ecstasies? It's not actually like something that is totally unique. Uh, he talks about them as involving one or more of the following sensations. Intense, joyful sensations, euphoria, rapture, or elation, feelings of unity and oneness with one's environment, altered or detached perceptions of space and time, a sense of profundity and release from mundane reality, or an ineffable yet rational experience. And if you look at other works like the varieties of mystical experience that are described in some of the uh, histories of religion and other things like that, they're very similar. So these experiences can happen in a lot of places, in nature, like walking out by the ocean, in creativity, Sometimes it happens at the moment of birth for a mother. They are often called transpersonal experiences where you're going beyond the self. And today I want to talk about those experiences in the context of sexuality. So you might be surprised to learn that one in eight people report having a transcendent experience during sex. Now I remember many times experiencing it personally. And over the years I've heard lot of reports of people having unity consciousness experiences. And as you'll hear later in the show, there's some great stats and research on it, and even some entire books written on the narratives of transcendent sex. And I love the ones where it's like, oh my God, you're in connection and you see the endless galaxies in the pupil of your lover's eyes. Things like that happen during sexual practices. 
I don't think it's a surprise to any of you that there's a rich connection between the spiritual and the physical, because you can go into breath work, dancing, yoga, fighting, they all have sort of a highly focusing flow quality to them. And no less than this is sexuality. In fact, it might even be one of the key ways to get there. It might be one of the most predictable pathways to reach a higher state of consciousness and spiritual insight. In all of the literature, people who report this use the same kind of language that Walter Stace did in 1961. They, they talk about feeling a deep sense of connection or unity with their partner, about perceiving transcendent images or insights, feeling a sense of unity with their partner as if their boundaries are dissolving and they're merging into one. They describe the boundaries dissolving with the universe or the divine. They talk about how their perceptions are altered, how colors are more vivid, sensations are more intense, the presence of intense positive emotions like ecstasy, bliss, they use those words, or a profound sense of love. They have altered perceptions of time, among other characteristics. So in some cases, people have experiences that even change their sense of self or what reality as a whole is really like. So there are some theories, like I think I talked about in the episode that leads with Margot Anand, that these sound an awful lot like religious experiences. And in fact, a lot of the regulation of sexuality in religion is to stop these direct experiences of sexual bliss and ecstasy and union with the divine from happening in channels that aren't controlled by the power structures of the church. If you can have direct access through your body to unity consciousness at any time, to communion, then why would you need a power structure that gives you permission or that gates access to divine consciousness? You don't. So I want to go back to the intro. What if you are wired? And in fact, it's not a what if. My deep conviction and coupled with long study is that we are biologically wired to be able to pulse into unity consciousness and out of it at any moment that we can be in the joy and play of being an individual and doing all the things we do, or we can boop, pop out in meditation, in sexuality, in all kinds of flow states into a connection with collective consciousness. All right, so my beliefs aside, there is a theory of this that Adam Saffron, who's a neuroscientist and PhD candidate at Northwestern University, of something that we call sexual trance. And this sort of breaks down what is happening in the altered state of consciousness into the categories of rhythm and entrainment. So according to Saffron, during intimate encounters, rhythmic stimulation synchronizes brain activity, a phenomenon known as neural entrainment. And that can happen through various sensory channels, touch, sight, sound, smell, taste. And the more diverse the sensory inputs, the higher the likelihood of achieving brain synchronization. So Strong and sustained rhythmic stimulation spreads through the brain. The neurons are more prone to activate when they receive simultaneous inputs, helping them reach the threshold needed to fire. When a person's brain aligns with sexual rhythms, then you get this increase in focus, similar to the effects of meditation. And as the state of sensory immersion heightens, and you, you get this concentrated attention on the sexual experience, all the other distractions are blocked out. And 
this focus resembles a kind of spotlight effect where you focus on one area and everything else goes dark. So, you know, even though we have a lot of narrative about multitasking, our brains really can't multitask. It just jumps around. What we perceive as multitasking is just rapid shifts in focus. So we only process a small portion of our incoming sensory information at any given time, prioritizing whatever the focus is on over others. So if you're in this sexual synchrony, it not only sharpens attention and focus, but it makes the sexual experience more pleasurable through positive feedback loops and enhances the likelihood of synchronization. So you're in this like virtually positive reinforcement. And this focus state, which diminishes our other active thought processes, allows for a deep immersion in the sensory experience akin to a trance. Such states are also achievable through other creative activities or exercise, like, you know, that's part of the runner's high, for example. But sexual interaction offers a unique synchronization with a partner. And that is what Saffron theorizes, blurs the line between self and other. And that there might even be a evolutionary fitness question with this, that maintaining and varying rhythm during sex might indicate a more preferable mate, similar to courtship dances and other animals, and that a man or a woman's ability to keep in tune with the partner's rhythm also signals uh, their ability to listen and their potential long-term investment in the relationship. Like, can they stay with you uh, at, at any given point in the variable dance of lovemaking? In the personal TMI category, I will tell you, by the way, that I had a t-shirt made at one point that said dibs on the bass player, because I think everyone I dated was either was a Leo and a bass player. And I, I will say like the drummers and the bass players who indicate that they are evolutionary fit in the rhythmic way. Uh, it's probably, there's probably something to that. Okay, so we know that sexuality can lead to altered states of consciousness and enhance sexual responsiveness. We know what happens during arousal, that we increase blood flow to the genitals and other body parts, and our heartbeats get quicker, our breathing gets quicker, we intensely focus on our sensation and our partner, and this can like put us into a flow state where we become so fully immersed in the moment we lose track of time. Okay, so you get aroused, and something else is happening in the brain when you're aroused. You shift into a state of being that is governed by the parasympathetic nervous system, which requires relaxation and lower defenses. And by the way, we know that relaxation and a sense of safety are really vital for women to enjoy sex. That would, the more that that environment's created, and it, the more likely arousal will happen and pleasure will happen and they can stay in it. It's one of the reasons we suggest ritual in our book reverence, you know, that there are ways to help create an environment that signals safety through lighting, through texture, through temperature, through pacing, uh, which can lead to a more beautiful experience for everyone. So there's a modern tendency to override the need for relaxation, which diminishes the intensity of arousal and sensation. So you're getting into the already you're in an altered state of consciousness as you're getting aroused, particularly if you're able to signal safety. Then the peak of sexual experience, the orgasm, is described as an intense altered state of consciousness. In French, they call it le petit mort or the little death. Uh, it's marked by the release of tension and a flood of hormones and neurotransmitters that provoke intense pleasure often a feeling of transcendence, sometimes altered perceptions, like I have a long-term partner who would have a total light show, color show, 
after orgasming can change your sense of time also like wow that moment can last for a really long time and in some practices like the oming tradition from one taste it's an ancient buddhist tradition that was adapted for modern times they attempt to keep you in this like right on the edge of of coming over the orgasm for a long period of time like you can stay in a near orgasm peak for 20 minutes or more which is like flooding the body with such beautiful beautiful endocrine signals to relax and be in pleasure so This peak experience of orgasm is linked to reduced activity in brain regions associated with self-awareness and control, which means that you're losing your sense of the individual self and you're fostering a sense of merging with the moment as a more broadened consciousness. So it's obvious that extended arousal and pleasure can shift the focus away from our normal thought processes and lessen our sort of degree of self-consciousness or self-awareness. And this dissolution of personal boundaries helps us connect more deeply with partners and the environment and even broader existential concepts. Not only this, but research has shown there's a particular study by Costa and Pistagna that had 116 participants. And it found that states of consciousness with attentional absorption, which means you know, you've lost sense of self, are linked to sexual responsiveness, like just how much joy and pleasure and presence and orgasm you can have. It also found that it was very much more present in women and to a lesser extent in men in that particular study. And I, I have a feeling that that gender acculturation is not biological, but that you know, men are more likely to experience this as biological release only because they've been entrained that way, uh, but that it's equally accessible. You talk to any DACA or tantric male and they will tell you that it's accessible. In another study, there was an international sample of 291 participants where they evaluated alterations of consciousness related to sexual experiences through uh, rating scale that there's, I mean, you got to love researchers, right? There is actually an altered states of consciousness rating scale. And it highlighted the correlation between altered states of consciousness and sexual well being in general. And it also validated that this was especially true for women that if you want true intimate and sexual wellness, it drops you into an entirely uh, different state of consciousness, which is highly related to regulating your system over time. Other ways that sexual activity can help us move into an altered state of consciousness is the afterglow that often happens, the relaxation, the contentment, the euphoria that can come with the release of oxytocin. We've talked about oxytocin as the love hormone before because it fosters bonding and relaxation, probably causes you to fall in love also if you have an oxytocin release with a person over time. Another aspect of altered states of consciousness and sexuality is erotic hypnosis, which is a trance-like state of enhanced suggestibility that often is used to amplify sexual experience to help you explore fantasies or partake in BDSM activities. And I think this is a good time to move into the realm of BDSM as a way of accessing an altered state of consciousness. Like, I never really understood what that was all about. But here's what the research says. In the realm of BDSM, the term subspace refers to an altered mental state 
that a submissive partner may enter during a scene. The state is characterized by intense focus, euphoria or calmness, reduced pain awareness, and sometimes dissociation, where one feels detached from their physical surroundings. It's believed to result from endorphin release and other biochemical changes. There's a researcher named Sam Greenberg who wrote Divine Kink, a consideration of the evidence for BDSM as spiritual ritual. And he talks about how these practices, including the subspace of the person who's receiving and the top space of the person who's in charge, reveal complex paths to altered consciousness. He says it, BDSM it, fulfills a spiritual longing in the West, offering pleasure, bonding, stress relief, and access to altered states, potentially reconnecting with suppressed aspects of sexuality and mysticism. Well, I think you've got entire libraries that are emerging on research in that area, like what it feels like to just let everything go and be told what to do, or what it feels like to be given total permission to control another person and to bring them into this state of beauty that actually being a top in the right way is a form of service. I've talked in prior episodes around tantric practices, particularly Kundalini Tantra, the tradition that I've studied, ancient Indian spiritual traditions, which use sexual activity as a meditation or spiritual practice that have as their aim this altered state of consciousness. They involve the spontaneous manipulation of sexual energy. Well, not only spontaneous, like intentional manipulation of sexual energy to result in intense focus uh, to managing the management of energy flow. It mirrors other spiritual practices, emphasizes rhythmic motion, altered breathing. You know, you can find this episode, Kundalini Tantra, in the podcast archives. I also found in looking up this topic, a book by Dr. Jenny Wade, from 2004. It's called Transcendent Sex When Lovemaking Opens the Veil, and it explores these profound experiences that 91 individuals in her study encountered when they went to bed with their lovers and suddenly had an awe inspiring experience that forever changed the way they understood themselves in reality. It really emphasized the power of sex and the body as a path to realization. And the book explains how lovemaking can sweep people into these glorious new dimensions, rip the veil between worlds, and produce ecstasies a thousand times more powerful than the most exquisite orgasm. Lovemaking so spectacular that it really does become a religious experience, even for atheists and agnostics. So, like I said in the beginning, these moments of transcendence echo ancient sacred sex practices. They're likened to the highest states in various spiritual traditions, and they can feature a phenomenon like visions and unity consciousness. So here's a quote from Dr. Wade. Transcendent sex was probably the basis for the mystery religions of Egypt, Mesopotamia, Greece, Rome, China, and India. But sacred sex is alive and well today, even though people rarely talk about it. I mean, People do talk about it. Maybe they didn't talk about it 20 years ago, but it's definitely getting talked about now. These states triggered by lovemaking are identical to the highest states identified in shamanism, yoga, Buddhism, and mystical Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. So, you know, there's, there's all kinds of ways to go right through your own beautiful body without having to go through structured religious practices. You are wired for unity consciousness. I also think it's worth mentioning that there are some people who experience not ordinary states of consciousness 
in non-monogamous relationships, that it's kind of like an existential form of kink. Like you get into a flow state in your brain uh, in polyamory or swinging because it involves navigating complex emotions and social dynamics, which put you on kind of a high alert, again, with that focusing effect. And there's also something here, which is around compersion, joy in your partner's joy, and also sort of a sense of being expanded that you are stepping into new perspectives. And anytime you step into newness, there's an alerting quality and a live quality to that when you're not on rote, you know, just running your life on a pattern. I think I'd also like to mention here, going kind of back to Benoit and the dance, that there is a quality of synesthesia in sexuality and that people who are documented synesthetics, like they hear color or they see sound, you know, that they have concurrent sensory perceptions, that synesthesia, people who have it overtly is about 4% of the population. But I can tell you that once you start like really tuning in, that I, I think it's really part of our biological inheritance, but we just haven't trained it or tuned into it. I was doing a sound meditation the other day and watching the color behind my eyes change. And as I toned from the base chakra to the middle, to the heart, to the throat, up to the third eye, you know, I started to look at the color field that was on the back of my eyelids and that color field changed just like the traditional chakra colors. Like, yes, the heart chakra turns green when you tone at that frequency. And so I I feel, you know, I'm not walking around in the world with that kind of merger of my senses, but I know it's available to me to do, as Benoit said, taste with my feet and see energy with my hands and sense energy with my tongue. I know it's there that I could close my eyes and see with my hands. You see this a lot in people who have been denied one form of sensory perception, blindness, uh, be, and, and then how that amplifies hearing or energetics. And you also see it in people who live in the wilderness, like how much more signaling, energetic imprint, uh, so almost unconscious perceptual capacity arises, for example, with trackers, you know, that we have so much more available that's just untrained. So sexual arousal is one of the ways that synesthetic perceptions are triggered in regular people. So it's not just that synesthetes as a whole have better overall sexual function, that they have increased scores on appetites for sexuality because probably they're having such intense experiences that they want more of that, right? But that no detection of sexual dysfunction was present in the synesthetes in the research study I saw. And they have much more of this altered state of consciousness reported. Like they they report oceanic boundlessness, visionary experiences than people who don't have synesthetic brains. So the question is, which way does it go? Do you have to have an overtly synesthetic structuring in your brain? Or can you cultivate the synesthetic experience by tuning in. So kind of coming to the end of this meditation on altered states of consciousness and sexuality. And here's what I want to offer. 
Not only is pleasure the plan, but the pathways and keys to complete ecstatic bliss and connection with the divine have been laid out inside of your own body. Expect more. Ask for more. Be fully alive. As Benoit said, taste with your feet, see with your hand, sense with your tongue. Ecstatic joy in union is the plan. It's an ingenious device of creation and should be celebrated and revered, not stuffed into some little appropriate box. I'd further like to offer that any religion that denies the power, perfection, and joy of the body, and not only the normalcy, but the astounding unity consciousness potential of sexuality, those are structurally flawed. I was reading an ancient tantric text and it said any religion that doesn't centralize sexual bliss is dead because that's where life comes from. Religions that regulate sexuality are inevitably rife with subversion, perversion, repression, abuse, and scandal. I would even go so far to say that Eros Unexpressed goes in the direction of violence in word or thought or deed. I'd love to invite you to attempt at home some of these practices. I have in the reverence book many rituals on mutual partnered adoration. You can find events and things like that if you want to come and practice with me and my colleagues uh, on my website, xtinem.com, xtinem.com. And I think I'll leave you today with Whitman. Like, I can't tell you, like, he just seems to be this transcendent, sensual, alive person that is as relevant now as the day that he was writing. And I, of course, am going to offer you passages from Song of Myself. And I want you to imagine yourself walking through the world with this level of exclamation points, right? I am he that walks with the tender man growing night. I call to the earth and sea half held by the night. Press close, bare-bosomed, night press close, magnetic nourishing night. Night of south winds, night of the large few stars. Still nodding night, mad naked summer night. Smile, O voluptuous cool-breathed earth, earth of the slumbering and liquid trees, earth of departed sunset, earth of the mountains misty-topped, earth of the vitreous pour of the full moon just tinged with blue, earth of shine and dark modeling the tide of the river, earth of the limpid gray of clouds brighter and clearer for my sake. Far-swooping, elbowed earth, rich apple-blossomed earth, smile for your lover comes. Is then a touch? quivering me to a new identity, flames and ether making a rush for my veins, treacherous tip of me reaching and crowding to help them, my flesh and blood playing out lightning to strike what is hardly different from myself, on all sides prurient provokers stiffening my limbs, straining the udder of my heart for its withheld drip, I know I am solid and sound, to me the converging objects of the universe perpetually flow. All are written to me. And I must get what the writing means. <laughs> I mean, you know, the poets, they got it. 